Hey, and welcome to the podcast. You guys thought we were going to disappear, and then we faked you out. We are not actually going to kill the podcast uh, right at the moment. We're gonna, we came back for a wonderful occasion. We came back for a special occasion to talk about a film uh, made by friends of ours, and uh, hopefully you will check it out. you got to check it out. It's called Dying Breed. It's on Amazon. So this is Lisa Andre and Ian. You guys uh, introduce yourselves. Who are you guys? Who are you? our two guests today? Adam, let's start with you. Um, I'm Adam Brumman. I am a, a commercial and now film director uh, based in Los Angeles, um, and uh, I'm the director of Dying Breed. And Travis? And I'm Travis Myers, uh, an actor, also in Dying Breed, um, based out of L.A. as well. So, yeah. Awesome. And we're all, of course, you know, socially distanced from each other. Uh, we're not... In the studio, this may be the like the thing we were already doing the podcast this way before we actually uh, got into the pandemic, because in LA we all know that just getting together for lunch. Uh, don't <laughs> you miss the days of canceling lunch six times before you actually have lunch? Uh, very LA thing to do. Uh, that's what we do. It's like ah, oh, I gotta move it. Oh, I can't make it. Oh, I'm stuck in traffic. Now we kind of have to show up for our uh, engagements because, like, what are you going to say? You know, I'm stuck in the toilet, whatever. Anyway, so we're all socially distanced. We're still in the pandemic. If you're listening to this far into the future, uh, this is what life was like in the lockdown. We were still creating. We were still surviving. And we were making some pretty poignant stuff in the case of uh, this film. We're going to get to the film in a minute. Adam, tell us about you. Like, how how did you get into the industry? How did you get to where you are right now? Um, I'll try to do the short version. So I was going to school for graphic design here in Min- or back in Minnesota. That's where I'm from. And I uh, took an elective in video production. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I didn't even know it was a thing. I, I didn't grow up a cinephile. Uh, movies weren't a huge part of my life, uh, but I was addicted. And um, the professor I had used to teach at USC, and he saw how much I was interested and recommended that if I was serious, I'd try a summer program at USC in producing and directing. So basically sold the house, moved to California and never looked back. Um, So that, that, that's really how the whole thing began. At least you Um, had money moving to California. I mean, I came out here with, I think I had eight grand and I felt very wealthy because I grew up poor and $8,000 is a lot of money. But in California, California was like, thank you and fuck off. So you sold a house. (laughs) Did you have some money to survive on? No, because like I just bought the house not very long before that. There's capital gains tax and there's all these things. It was a bad, all bad. So you also had uh, had (laughs) $8,000. Well, and then my welcome to California was, uh, what did I do? I got a... I got a ticket for like going through a red light, which I still to this day can would contest. But it was a, it was like a, you know, the cameras that mm-hmm. that capture you. So I got yeah. a five hundred dollar ticket for that. And then I was shooting, helping a friend shoot a short film, and I just parked in the grocery store parking lot, you, like where the ninety nine cent store is on like Fairfax and uh, Wilshire. There, mm-hmm. um, behind that, there's like a grocery store, and I parked in the lot which is totally normal in Minnesota. You can park in a grocery store parking lot all day long. You cannot park in a grocery store parking lot in California without getting towed. So I got towed. (laughs) At the end of the day, I'm like, where's my car? And uh, it was in the tow yard 
and that was five hundred dollars. So it was like a thousand bucks, like boom, like in the first thirty days. Welcome to LA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of shit yeah. happened to me too. Like there's just so many things. I accidentally flicked the cherry off my cigarette out of uh a moving car. And I know it's bad now. I know. I know you guys are going to listen to this and go, fuck you, Lisa. But it flicked out the end of the, the, the car. And CHP pulls me over. I told this story on the podcast before. But I hear this very angry cop voice going, well, the passenger, please get out of the car. And I'm like, passenger? I got a 500 almost $800 ticket. It was after it was all done. And I had to appear before a judge. And I was shitting myself. And I was like, I am not in Alabama anymore. You basically... You can be like a toddler and drunk and drive on the highway blindfolded. And out here, it's like there's just zero tolerance. And they're also just looking for a payday. So I love, yeah. love, we should just do an entire podcast about moving to LA stories because this is pretty <laughs> typical. Or moving in LA. I just got a ticket moving because I parked a moving van in a part of Santa Monica that you can't, actually, in all of LA County, you cannot park, or Los Angeles City, you cannot park. A moving van or something. I don't know. Anyway, that was another five hundred dollar ticket. So yeah. Yeah, our our neighbor who who's from Georgia, he has Buku's money. He also may be in the witness protection program. Anyway, he's an actor, a very attractive guy, has shit tons of money. But they got an RV. I don't know why I told you all that personal stuff. He's gonna listen to this and go, why? Uh, I didn't tell your name though, so fuck off. Uh, he's driving around in an RV because you know COVID. He doesn't want to fly. He has young children. He wants to go back to Georgia and see his family. And all of the Megans and Heather's and Becky's around here are so pissed off that there's an RV. It's a brand new RV parked on the street. The dude keeps getting tickets. For no fucking reason except for that people are just pissed off. So who knows why you got a ticket? It could have just been like some Nambi just going, no, you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up. You find it. Travis is gone. (laughs) He's not on the podcast anymore. We're not going to talk to him. (laughs) No, but like with with you, like, so you land and and you, did you make a direct beeline for directing? Was it, was it always directing or was it just production? No, direct. Well, directing is what I wanted to do, but I mean, I didn't see. No, I don't know anyone yet. Anyway, I'm sure they're out there that just like literally just started directing. Um, yeah. I had some real, like, I think my first. I was just telling another cinematographer friend this story the other day. My first production gig was like a Craigslist ad where I responded to that uh, I responded to to grip. I had already done this. You at summer program at USC, but I really didn't know what a grip was. I just knew it was a crew member and I needed to be on that. So I got on like this music video, um, <laughs> which was like a super low budget music video. But anyway, the funny thing is, is like some of those people that I worked with on that shoot, it was like a six person crew, um, ended up going on to one of the, the cinematographer just recently won an Emmy um, there. I mean, it's funny how like from a Craigslist ad, you know, it all became what it is today. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, and one of them still really good friends with and works with me on a lot of my jobs. Um, so uh, that was the first one. And then the second one was like, a, I can't remember what it was called. It was like, tw- it was like a 24 hour film festival that I think uh, played at the what's the theater by the ace hotel um uh oh, anyway the uh, downtown yeah that really cool let's hope I'm it's still there my, let's hope it's please or, please let it be still there. yeah anyway my point is so that was my second introduction into it and then um i so i used to ride snowmobiles for manufacturers that make snowmobiles uh on their shoots 
And I got an opportunity to, well, I convinced the marketing manager to let me shoot a portion of the shoot. They weren't going to put all their eggs in one basket, which I get it smart, but um, they gave me an opportunity. So I literally uh, reached out to the producer that hired me like to be a grip maybe six months prior or something like that. I was like, Hey, I have a commercial. I got, I, I might be directing, which I'm sure, I don't know. I can, I wonder what she was thinking on the other end of the line. She's like, yeah, right. Probably. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it went and the rest is history, I guess. That's cool. Hmm. Travis, tell, we know your story. You've been on the podcast with your, uh, your wife, the wonderful Melissa who's a production designer and uh, also just all around an amazing human being. Hello, Melissa. Uh, she's with the young She's one. out there. Hi, Melissa. She's the bomb. Uh, t- tell us your story. How did you land in this crazy circus we call the industry? So I, mine, I, you know, I mentioned this one before on, on your podcast, but I grew up in, in Seattle, up in the Northwest in Washington. And uh, I was doing plays up there. And I was just doing a a lot of theater and kind of got recognized from some of my theater work to move on to some commercials and um, um, some auditions for some uh, television shows that were shooting up there. And then at a certain point, I thought, well, after years of doing that, I thought, well, now it's time to make the leap. And at that point, I had met uh, my wife, Melissa, up there. And said, hey, do you want to move to L.A.? <laughs> and she was kind of like, okay, I guess so. And, yeah, we packed up every aisle, a little V6 Dodge truck and got rid of most of our stuff and put a little trailer hitch on it. We had three grand, came down. We didn't know anywhere in L.A. Got down to uh, Ventura Boulevard. With okay. this trailer, had no idea. <laughs> Got a where ticket? To go. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea where to go. I think we found a Days Inn, and we parked it there, and we we're sitting at a bus stop on Ventura Boulevard, going, "All right, now we got to find a place to live." And uh, and so it, it kind of started there. Wow, you showed up with we, no place to like live. You just kind of dropped no in. Place, Crazy. place to live. That's awesome. No place to live, no jobs, no nothing, just a trailer and, and that's metal. Our gear. <laughs> so yeah, metal. so we came, we came down, and then I mean, from there, once we did find a place, we found a little guest house over in Glendale, and uh, once we got there, we just you know, Melissa was doing interior design at the time. Um, and she was out looking for a job. I think we were both just looking for restaurant jobs or anything to bring in some income. And then I just thought, well, I'm going to do anything I can acting wise, like whatever. And I, it's funny that Adam said that. Cause I think one of the first things that I did was the guy that we happened to be living in his guest house was a DP and he was DPing, um, uh, as director of photography, just so you people out there know what I'm talking about. It's good to instruct people. No, it's good. It's good. They're like, you went to California. What did you go to Van Nuys? It got weird, didn't yeah. it? Um, <laughs> uh, that's Chatsworth. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Um, and so, uh, We've all done he, porn. Uh, 
he was just looking. He said, do you want to come and help? I'm shooting this little short film. Do you want to help and do some grip work or whatever? And I was like, absolutely. Anything to get on set. So I cruised out there and, and, and started doing that for, for nothing, for free, just to, just to work. And so then, yeah, it just started. That's, that's the L.A. story, the, the quick version of how it, how it got going. And then here we are. You Still both, hustling. You both are very good at what you do. I mean, hustle or not, uh, you're both are very good at what you do. You can tell it from this film if you don't know of Adam's work or, or Travis's work. In, in 19 minutes, we get to see how good uh, both of you are what you do. So it's been time well spent, the time that you spent out here, because you immediately uh, believe Travis in this role. You immediately see the work and a, a, it just – the heart, the gut, everything that goes into this that Adam is bringing to the table, the crew you chose, uh, where you shot it. We're going to get into those little particulars, but, like, you guys both wear a lot of hats. I mean, Travis says he's an actor. That's a very humble way to sum himself up. But he's also a writer. He's also got the, the director blood in him. He's got the, you know how to promote your work. You both have to do this. You can't just be one thing. Uh, when you're coming up in this business, you can't just be one thing. You have to be a lot of things. <laughs> Apparently, you have to be a snowboat, uh, a snowboard guy riding on, you know, snowmobiles. You have to do whatever you have to do. There's no one way. Whatever People, the hell it's called. Whatever the hell uh, it's fucking called. <laughs> words. We're just doing a podcast. Who gives a shit? But like, it's uh, it's one of those things where if you're like, look, if you're looking at like how to do something, you'll you'll hear a million stories, and they'll all be in a million different ways. There'll be some commonalities. There'll be yeah the things that you'll see the through line, but there's always kind of that you have to kind of make the business and your entree and this world what it is. Can you guys speak to why it's important to wear many hats for you? Why that's worked out for you? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question because I Go guess I, 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 Actually, the thing that I love about filmmaking is the, and I just talked about this on another thing, but is the collaborative side of it. Like, I actually think that when you get the best result is when everybody is a master of something instead of a jack of all trades, but master of none. So I find that it's really important to to not be afraid to get your hands dirty. Some Like, like you said, I mean, literally figuratively or literally you know i mean travis will tell you that on dying breed because i grew up on a farm maybe we'll get to that but uh you know that went travis i mean i was rolling around underneath that semi truck in the dirt trying to yeah. get a chain hooked up to it so we could get it pulled out or whatever you know i mean sometimes you just got to dive in and get shit done but um but i've also found in my career that there's been times where i'm wearing too many hats and then usually something has to give and a lot of times it's the it's what ends up on screen that suffers. So oh, it's man. hard balance. You That's know? a whole podcast uh, right there. That's a whole series of podcasts. How yeah. I totally agree with that philosophy. I don't think you should be doing all those things. I think that's why we have departments on sets. I think that's why when people say I'm going to fake it yep. till I make it and I'm going to get on this set, I'm like, oh, you're going to get murdered. <laughs> like uh, the guy yeah. across the street is a, a grip, salty old grip, like a beautiful, salty, seasoned old grip. And he's like, there's always that loudmouth dude on a set, you know, that'll roll up. And everybody likes Bob, you know, and everybody thinks Bob's great. But <laughs> you know that Bob is like a fuck up. And like day three, you're like, somebody's going to have to fire Bob. Who's going <laughs> to be the one to fire Bob? So I'm talking about more like, yeah, you've answered the question. 
you want people to be good at what they do because also sets yeah. are very dangerous. They can be very dangerous. They can be dangerous creatively. They can also be physically dangerous. So I think it's good to know what the fuck you're doing and getting out there and faking it till you make it. I mean, that's why you should start out as maybe a PA. Well, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. there, there's always a, or a grip. Or a grip. <laughs> there's always a healthy balance in that because, you know, like on, spe- on small things that I, I, I do, it's like, you know what? Uh, it 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 help to get the day faster going if I helped out. And I'm talking corporate stuff. This is not where you don't touch anything that's not yours. But I mean, it's good to know that oh, this is what the lighting department does. I need to be out of their way. You know that sort of um, you know sense on set. I think you know it, it's good for for you to know what other people are doing and, and a, to sort of wear have a healthy that, respect yeah. for their flag fort that they've made for the sound guy to like maneuver around. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent though. I mean, I think it's really important. I mean, as far as that goes, uh, I've been, you know, told that I have a technical aptitude that a lot of directors don't on, on the production side and on the, on the equipment side. And I think that that is, is crucial. So, and that has come from wearing many hats that has come from like not being afraid to grab a camera or, or whatever to actually learn how these things work. Um, so you're able to communicate much faster than you would be if you're like i don't know grab that thing and put it on that thing and whatever else you don't know what the hell you're talking about you know um so i think it's really important one thing i was going to say you're saying there's so many ways to get in uh i've told so many people this i was on a flight to la sitting next to a air quotes producer from warner brothers which who the hell knows because you know in my mind i'm like oh that's really awesome but then once you move to la you realize everybody's a producer at warner brothers um but i was a producer at warner brothers just kidding (laughs) they have been but like you know so anyway the point is is that he told me uh he said best advice i can give you is is to not give up he's like he's like you will because everybody asks the question how do you make it which is such a now we all know is a silly question, but like the point is, is that, uh, that was great advice. And I think that I've seen a lot of people come and go, I've been out here for 12 years, going on 13 years, I've seen a lot of people come and go and all the ones that stick around and just stick with it. And it's a long road. Sometimes people get there faster than others, but the point is you're going to get your shot. I um, absolutely agree with that. I've been out here 18 years, and I had a producing friend. He does a live, he did a lot of lifetime producing, and his friends were making fun of him. And he goes, yeah, you made one film last year. I made 17 films. They were all garbage. Uh, <laughs> they were about burning beds and just the silliest, dumbest plots. But I learned everything under the sun in, like, my year. And he yeah. just, he had a, an old salty dog tell him, you know, producer, he said, the people who survive in this business and to, who do well, just keep doing it. Just mm-hmm. keep doing it because people get disheartened. They are, they're on some sort of imaginary track. They have to have an Emmy or they're comparing their insides to somebody else's outsides and all that kind of shit. And it's just like stick in, stay yeah. with yeah. it, you know, and not your path is not going to be the next guy's path. It's good to have your own path anyway, you know. We are all individuals. A little life of Brian <laughs> joke for you. So, Travis, like, speaking yeah, yeah. to that, like, what has all of your culmination of experience brought you to? I mean, you see it in Jesse's performance. I, I believe you. I see you as this guy. I mean, yeah. you were that guy to me. And I wasn't looking at Travis, my friend. You stepped right into the skin of this man. Where did you get to the door of that? Like, how did you bring that guy out? Like, what is your experience? 
I, I I think with that, a lot of it, I mean, Adam wrote a really, a really nice script and it was really good to, to kind of latch onto. Um, and also we immediately, once I was in on this, um, we started going over a lot of this stuff, the, the, the farming stuff, you know, tractors and, and working on, on how to maneuver around that stuff. So you look like you actually know what you're doing. The other stuff was just me digging really deep into the psychological um, aspect of the character and understanding that the stakes are so high in this and that you have to fully, fully commit um, and dig wherever you need to go personally um, to, to bring out the nature of this guy. Otherwise, you're doing it injustice. You're not only doing injustice um, to your own performance, but to the, the, the writer and director and to the crew and to the actual humanity of these people of these farmers. Um, and so it was a lot of, of um, inner workings going along with uh, the stuff that Adam, you know, showed me and taught me and the farmers that were out there uh, digging to that, to that kind of stuff. I think that that kind of answers your question that so you're asking. It gets sort of into the heart of like, I've kind of sort of done this a little bit backwards on purpose because the uh, sort of a reverse onion, if you will, Let's talk about where this film came from. <clears throat> Obviously, this feels very personal. Um, and it, I, I'm like, somebody is from Minnesota. Somebody's from the heartland. Somebody's because I've come from a farming family. And, you know, if you're watching something that's from your hometown, if I hear a southern accent and somebody's trying to do boss hog or whatever, I usually I'm like, I'm done. Uh, and when you see farm stuff, you're like, oh, shit. It's like, can you come see my band play? You're like, oh, they're going to suck, aren't they? I was so happy. This is so good. It's Travis. He's involved. I knew it was going to be good. But where did this film come from, Adam? Where where in your soul, where from the land did this come from? Um, I, you know, the hard part for me has been I've wanted to do narrative, uh, get into narrative for a, since the beginning. That's been my goal. Um fell into commercials first, which is, I feel like a lot of people go the other way. Usually they start making some narrative stuff, short films, whatever. Maybe they get some commercial work, music videos, et cetera. Anyway, I went backwards the other way. And I don't know what it was, why it was so hard for me to write something. I never thought of myself as a writer as maybe part of it. Uh, I just didn't put it out there. Secondly, I still don't think I'm a writer, really. I think I'm a better, I think I'm, I'm better at directing than I am writing. Um, but... I was. I don't know, man. You're a pretty good writer. I've been doing it all my life. You're pretty damn good at it. Thank you. Uh, I I was really looking for something that I can tell a story that I can tell. And you know, I think the reason, maybe the reason, Dying Breed, not maybe most likely the reason Dying Breed is written well is because I know that I know it so well. So like for me to write fantasy. I haven't tried it, but I have a feeling it'd be a junk show. Um, so, you know, I grew up on a farm in, in southeastern Minnesota, uh, and I'm still actually involved in that in that farming operation with my two brothers. Um, so I know those people. My dad was that person. Um, I know uh, I have relatives that are farmers. I have relatives that have, you know, that, that had to sell their farm. Um, 
I've kind of just seen a lot of it. I grew up with it. So it's easy for me to speak to it, you know? Um, and I, I don't remember exactly how this came up. I was, I was, it was Google. I was looking around trying to figure out what the hell am I going to write? And, uh, cause I was inspired and I came across this story in the guardian, um, that just seemed hard to believe like the statistics that they were saying that, uh, that farmers were taking their lives, the rate that farmers were taking their lives was just, it didn't make sense. I was like, there's no way that many farmers are committing suicide. And, um, so I started doing more research and, uh, it, well, that was the reality. And I couldn't believe that I didn't know about it. Like 450 you know, farmers like, between 2014 and 2018, correct? Something like this. Oh, I, I have to double check the numbers, yeah. the statistics. I haven't looked at them in a little bit, but yeah, it's, in, it's insane. But that's uh, extraordinarily really high. high no matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, so anyway, uh, I was kind of disturbed by the fact that not only what's happening, but the fact that I didn't know, I'm like, this is my world. How the hell do I not know this? And I'm like, guaranteed no one in Los Angeles is aware of this. Yeah. And you know, no one in the bigger cities, like I, I kind of had this epiphany. I was like, wow. I'm like, I don't know. There must be a lot of people that aren't aware that this is happening, you know? And I think that's, I think that's probably the response that Travis had and the response that Tim had and the response that like everybody, I know some of the producers, they're like, what are you kidding me? Like I how did, how is this not mainstream media? Uh, I think it's, man, I wish I had the statistics, but it's, it's a couple a day. Um, yeah. it's surprisingly high. Um, so anyway, I started doing a little research then to see if anybody had told the story and I just missed it or something like that. And no one had, so it just felt, I just started writing. I think I wrote it in that day or something like that. And close to that draft is, I mean, I think version 20 is what we shot, but you know, <laughs> the meat was the heart. That of sounds the about right. That that's pretty good. Draft. Yeah. 20 versions. <laughs> that's, that's exactly well, right. Good for you. You are a writer. Welcome um, to the club. <laughs> So, so anyway, I don't know if I totally answered your question, but, um, I think that it, it came from a place where I was really looking for something that I could tell that someone else wouldn't be able to tell without a lot of research. And even with that, like, I felt like I could inject enough personal stories into it that would just be hard for anybody that, that didn't grow up in that world to, to put it down on paper. So, um, so that's why. I did it. And I, you know, I felt it was really important. I mean, I still feel it's really important. I feel like we need to get this story out there and, you know, maybe, maybe one day we'll make it into a feature or something as well, because I think that would be even a better way to raise more awareness around this issue. Cause it's not going away. It's not just the United States, it's global. Right. Um, so. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Adam, especially because this is, you know, a 19 minute film. Um, I wanted to ask you like, what were the challenges in like, getting the audience to feel for this character because i mean i think you did it very well in such a short amount of time but what did you think that was important to include in the writing to make sure that by the end of it the audience is kind of like emotionally <laughs> shocked that it it because at least for me i watched it last night i was really just watching the statistics at the very end after the final scene i was just like this is some powerful shit like what was the the I guess the biggest thing you wanted to get across in this film with Jesse's character. Well, I think that 
I just got to process that question for a second. It's a really good question. Um, I think that ultimately I wanted to make, it's going to might sound cliche, but make these farmers human and relatable to people that didn't grow up in that world. Because I think that like, as much as it's sad to see those statistics, I think that if you saw it, even on the front page of the LA times, most people would read it and be like, wow. And then that'd be it. You know, uh, they, they might feel sympathy, but not empathy. And I, you know, that's something I've been learning later in life, the difference between the two. But I think that I really wanted audiences to feel empathy because I felt like if they did, if they could sort of relate, somehow relate to that character, that then they would be able to understand the gravity of the situation. And hopefully, I don't think any one person is going to fix this, but I think, you know, I've talked about this a lot. You know, I think the first step is awareness. So I think the more people that get talking about it, especially those people being the farming community, because they don't want to talk about these things. They don't talk about feelings very much, you know, or, or, or just aren't very open about that stuff. So, so I think that, you know, that was one of the, the main things that I wanted to get across. It was challenging for sure, because I do think one of the differences in draft one to dr the final draft was um, the whole, it was kind of just like this whole downward sloped film where it just like watched this guy slowly walk to the cliff. Um, and it was pretty depressing. So, you know, we, um, my business partner, in the factory and I, um, reached out to some people that had actually lived through this, not in, not in the agricultural community, but had gone, you know, down this dark path before and tried to learn more about it, um, and tried to get a better understanding of like how you get to that point. Right. Um, and, and I felt like it was really, so we tried to do research to make sure that we were doing it justice and didn't just like make up some weird story about how he could possibly get to the stage and, and, you know, I guess I'll give the movie away, take his life. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think that it was beyond that. So the challenge was from there was figuring out how to inject some sort of redeeming characteristics in Jesse because, uh, like I said, in, in the earlier versions, it was just kind of like a real downer movie and it's still a really heavy movie, but I thought, and the reason it's 19 minutes and I still like question, sometimes question the length of the scene with Tim and uh, Travis, the Jesse and Marty scene, cause it is long. Um, but I felt it was so important that we saw this camaraderie between mm -hmm. these two and that we like got, to, is the only way I could figure out how to inject more backstory. Yeah. into the story and right that i felt i felt like it was really important to do that because i wanted people to care about jesse and in, in in previous versions that you know again they probably would have felt bad but they wouldn't have felt connected um so that was a real challenge and i you know i just i hopefully we got there with with what we and to feel doing. something for marty too because you know this is not some mustache twirling guy i think mean, people see banks a lot of times as the bad guy and they're certainly not gonna there's never gonna be like a bank hero <laughs> protagonist. Yeah. Somebody write that. 
Ah, make me love it. Yeah, right. But like at the same time, Marty's doing his job as well. Like, and again, if you get into the world of farming where I come from, my grandparents were dairy farmers. They just aged out of it. Nobody wanted to, to mess with it. Also, Monsanto was moving in on farmers and they're still pretty predatory. But the the thing that people may not know is that in the farming community, it's tiny. It's a it's relatively small compared to other industries. So 450 people, because I read that from a Guardian article this morning, between 2014 and 2018, that's huge. That's like a thousand actors committing suicide every month. I mean, it's something kind of crazy. You know, it's like, it's, it's huge to have this many deaths. It's its own epidemic, its own pandemic. Yeah. Um, and we are losing these people due to so many different factors, no matter who's in office, no matter Republican, Democrat, or whatever's going on in Australia, it's there's these, all of these kinds of complicated uh, issues that are leading to these, these suicides. And then also just talking about, there's a whole thing you could get into about the fragility of the farm family. And you can't just like sell your farm and be done with it. You can't sell your farm and just go get a job at Walmart. There's... The debt is so staggering. It's like belonging to the company store. And if you look at, like, and again, I'll, I'll go back to a personal story, not even again. Going back to a personal story in the 80s, this is in the, the wake of Reaganomics, or what we call trickle-down economics in the South. There was a man who committed suicide this very way. He left a note. He got hammered. He crawled into his grain silo as it was filling up, and this is how he took his life. And it jarred me. Like, it, it pulled me off the couch practically. Uh, because I remember that we talked about that man's death for years. Um, and, and I was just like so stunned by it. There's really no way out. And what you did in 19 Minutes uh, that I do marvel at is that you were able to convey a lot, at least to me, um, about who Jesse was. I was feeling abandoned. I was feeling strangled. Um, walking through this beautiful overhead shot in the in the, in the wheat, field yeah in the, in the in the corn with lucky and and feeling like this is a drowning man you know and you can have all these conversations around how we could have saved a guy like jesse but even his own friend who's sitting sharing a, a sandwich with him and sharing some piece of nostalgia with him he can't save him you know, you see it, little simple thing that you did. What I love is the sparseness of this whole thing yeah. that conveyed the message. I think that is what makes the film so brilliant. And oddly enough, I know, I know that sounds crazy, but I felt kind of like hopeful at the end because I felt like somebody finally talked about this. Somebody brought this to, to the screen, <laughs> and that is what moved me is that somebody actually... Somebody who knew what the fuck they were talking about made a piece about something that no one's talking about. So, and and you know, just hopping back onto what Lisa just said, and then going back to Adam, uh, you know, wanting to bring this empathy because of the sparseness. And I'm not saying sparseness like there's nothing there, but because you let the dialogue breathe, you let somebody like me who lives in a city who doesn't understand the particulars to fill in and empathize with what in my life will draw me, drive me to that. And it just gave me this sort of, I, it, it, I, at the end of it, I was, I was weeping. Yeah, we were about yeah. to yeah, because I, th it I was, think we yeah. can all relate, especially this year, um, just 
thing, one thing after the other piling on us, like really weighing us down. Like, I think we can all definitely relate to that. Um, but I think the, the scene that got me and Travis, I wanted to ask you about this was the scene when Jesse was talking to his family on the phone. And I think by that point is like the final, oh, this is not necessarily going to end well. Um, but I thought your performance was, was literally so powerful. I wanted to ask, like, what was it like filming that scene? From the moment you read it on the page to when you were on set filming that, what was that like? <clears throat> um, well, I knew I, I, I knew it was heavy and I knew it was going to be challenging emotionally to, to go to that depth. And, um, and I didn't, but I didn't put too much pressure on myself to say, you know, you have to do this. Like you have to hit these particular, you know, spots. You have to emotionally cry. You have to, because I knew if I did that, I was sabotaged. Yeah. I was toast. So I just um, really, and I told Adam, I mean, I, I, I kind of went off by myself to mentally get where I needed to be with that. And I told Adam, I said, you know, I don't know how many of these I got. So, and I talked to Phil so as well. don't Sorry. fuck it up, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> don't make me do this more than I have yeah. to, buddy. And I... And I just told, um, I talked to Adam and um, Phil, our director of photography, and said, you know, whatever you got to get close, get it now, you know, because I don't know how because I think we did it three times or four times. I think we did it three. We, I wanted four and, and uh, we didn't need it. You were right. But, you know, uh, Travis like, no. We're done. I can't do another one. <laughs> this is the uh, typical um, conversation that actors have with the director. You just got to reenact. Well, that. especially because it was, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it's all just one long take, that whole conversation, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so it was like, you know, you, you had to be able to, to go there. And, and Adam was really good about, you know, giving me my space and, making sure people gave me my space. And uh, Phil was really great. Um, and the crew was really great about, you know, keeping it quiet and, and everybody was, you know, ready to go. So that way, that way we didn't have that, you know, uh, audio problem or bump in the camera or anything like that. And we're, you know, cause you do have to, you know, sometimes deal with that and got to be able to go again, which we did. We, we did it a few times. Um, but at a certain point I was, you know, it was, it was hard to, to go there and do it, but you know, it was a challenge and, and I wanted to, to be able to, uh, rise to it. How did you guys get together? Yeah. How did you find each other? Uh, well, casting. what's that app called, Adam? Uh, Grinder? Was it Grinder? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was Grindr. <laughs> um, you guys have made a really beautiful thing out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so beautiful we went and shot another one uh so we can talk about that later but um so uh yeah i mean honestly it's just it's just the only way you can describe it is it's meant to be because i mean uh, how many you know casting notices are there travis that you see that you don't click on you know i mean so the fact that that's that's really how it happened i mean we uh becky Wu is a casting director she's a friend of mine and 
she helped us out with this. So she, uh, she put out the breakdowns and we got an overwhelming response uh, for both roles. I mean, we had a ton of people. Um, and I think we got it down to, I think it was a hundred or something like that, that wow. we had send in self tapes. And then after that, I think we brought in maybe 20, 20 Travis's and, or 20 Jesse's and 20 Marty's. Um, and then we paired them together too for chemistry reads and whatnot. And, um, but I mean, you know, when I saw, uh, Travis's read his self tape, I was like, damn, I mean, he already like really embodied the guy, you know, like I, I, I couldn't believe how spot on he was from the get go. So, um, you know, I mean, that that's how it came to be. And then and then it was a love affair after that. We spent a lot of time <laughs> together leading up to that film. Um, it's fun. I mean, I think we did. We didn't do that many rehearsals, I guess. Um, but, you know, we went up and played some played with some tractors and tried to do the homework, you know, it's awesome. Travis yeah, is awesome. A... He just doesn't suck. <laughs> he doesn't suck. Right. Yeah, it was it was actually re really kind of a. A wonderful thing because, um, you know, when you when you see the breakdowns come in, a lot of times when you you read them, and and it's not like for for me personally that I'm getting all this stuff. It's it's really not. And so when you see something like that come in, you want to jump on it um, and um, kind of commit to it. And so when it was. Something like that. Once it got in there and I sent in the 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 self-tape and then, you know, then you go to the callback where you're actually meeting the director and stuff. And I felt like um, with the audition, I just I, I felt Adam and I just kind of clicked. Like, I think we started talking before the even the audition, like outside. We were just mm -hmm, like, yeah. shitting. And then after that, it was, um, you know, it was kind of like, oh cool there's 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 chemistry chemistry with this director and um we can and adam is very collaborative which i completely uh, appreciate is that he's very collaborative so there was and he's johnny on the spot too like if you call him he calls you back if you email him he, he emails you back texting the same thing sometimes he's texting you at five in the morning and you're like oh <laughs> God, what are you doing? You're up way too early. Um, but I, for me personally, in Hollywood, getting anyone to to do that is difficult. And I grew up kind of that way, like, hey, do what you say you're going to do and get back to people. And so immediately, I was like, yes, I, you know, I dig um, where he's coming from. And so it it really helped having that relationship to go into this thing and go spend, you know, a week in, in freezing Minnesota um, and shooting this Man, it looked film. cold. It looked so cold. I'm like, I yeah. need some whiskey watching this thing. <laughs> it was way colder than it looks, let me tell you. Oh, wow. dude, <laughs> dude. Let's talk about making the film. Let's talk about you You shot this in Minnesota. What's, uh, what city were you shooting this in? Uh, just south of Rochester, the home of the world-famous Mayo Clinic. I know, um, so my mother's so, cancer surgery is done. It okay. was 20 below when she had her surgery years ago. And I'm like, how do people live here? How do you yeah. 
live did, so how do you are you just like i walk i walked outside and just wanted to die on the sidewalk and they had the tunnels underneath to go between yeah. the hotel and the hospital and i was like thank god this is handy because a top yeah. side i'm dead and now i can yeah. only imagine so walk us through that filmmaking in that yeah i mean i think the craziest part of that was i mean first of all so i've shot go if you go to our, my website you'll see i've shot a lot of stuff in the snow so i'm no stranger to having to shoot in 40 below uh unfortunately i really just if anybody's got a job for me in like the caribbean or something like that <laughs> please just call me call out uh, but Adam. anyway so uh it's i i'm just destined to always be in the cold and this is proof because it was nice in minnesota and it shouldn't be that cold that time of year it should have been a beautiful fall day and all of a sudden the weather turns and we had spent a lot of time i felt like we had spent a lot of time uh prepping specifically the scene between marty and jesse because i already talked about how important i felt it was so people felt connected to these characters. So we spent a lot of time in LA working on that. The reason I'm bringing it up is because we were really prepared for it. And then weather came and it, we had to rewrite the script the night before that, that two or three pages, whatever it was, um, we had to change it up pretty, pretty drastically. I would say, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that was still the same, but the location had to change. Everything had changed because the weather went to hell. Um, so, it's brutal. It was brutal. I just like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man, are you kidding me? And nobody had enough warm gear. Everybody was freezing. And uh, yeah, oh it God. was a shit wow. show. How many um, layers did you have on, Travis? Because I'm like, he's just out of here. Like, a sw hopefully, have, hopefully, you have six layers under that because. And then you just had I jeans had, on, man. I was like, this dude's freezing his well, ass off. Yeah, I only had, I had jeans on and then <clears throat> I had a t shirt. Adam gave me some kind of long sleeve kind of thermal thing that went under my sweatshirt but it was I just i haven't watched it <laughs> oh you haven't no <laughs> great i sleep with um it. and so we <laughs> <laughs> we had a wonderful um some wonderful crew that was standing just off camera with a, a big heavy carhartt jacket swaddle that, the actor swaddle oh the actor. and i would come off i was so thankful for them because they were just like throw it on top of me, but yeah, it was. I mean, it started snowing and sideways, blowing, and ah, uh, I was like, "What the hell?" This, it made for a beautiful film, though, because I just I felt all of it. I was just like, I don't it know what couldn't the have been better. Yeah, it, you could feel it. You yeah. could feel it. What the? What yeah. was? Well, I'm, I'm glad the character wasn't wearing a t-shirt in the early shots <laughs> where we had to follow through with that. Because it takes place what over a, over a day, you know. It's it's not like we can't. Once you're in a t-shirt, you're in it. That's that's it. Yeah. So we lucked out in that way. I had a hoodie. Were you gonna say at Ian? Oh, I was just saying. What was the the, the footprint of your crew? Um, yeah, uh, let's talk about your crew here. Pretty big, much bigger than anticipated. Really, much bigger than any producers wanted it to be that's always uh, what producers are gonna say think, how many people I, <laughs> I think we ended up with about 30 if that sounds if that's right um so uh, i think maybe a third was la i'm um, cast and crew uh third was la and then um the rest was minnesota based um but man i mean 
we brought in a bunch of locals because, you know, my brother lives on the farm. So I bet Travis, I think six or eight of his buddies yeah. came out. And I mean, you know, PAing, but they were crucial. I mean, everybody is so important on a shoot. But when you got a, and depends if you think it's a small crew or not, but when you got a small crew, it's even more important yeah. uh, because there's not room for anybody to like um, pick up someone's slack. So uh, it was awesome. I mean, everybody's diving in the, the, the final scene in the grain bin. There's four guys, I think, standing on top of this 40 foot bin or something like that. And it was cold. I mean, oh, wow. it was it was blowing like 20, 30 mile an hour gust, freezing. And they're just standing up there dumping corn out of a five gallon pail onto down the spout. So that way we could control how it was coming out. And anyway, I mean, everybody went above and beyond. So that was, that was kind of our crew, um, in a nutshell. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we cast some from, we, or we cast, uh, uh, Bill who yeah. played, um, the service manager, I guess. Um, we casted him from Minneapolis and then Jerry, is actually a family friend. He's a real farmer. He looked uh, like a real farmer. I was going to say, is Jerry a real guy? Because he looks like a real yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's funny. He's not, I wouldn't say Jerry's that outgoing. Uh, he's, but, you know, I've known him a long time. He's really good. He was a really good friend of my dad's. And uh, I I just like, I'll just see if he wants to be in it. So he did. And then actually another one of my, uh, another uh, guy, Les Meeker, he was a good friend of my dad's too. He, uh, you know, he didn't get the the cameo I was hoping for, but he walks out of the implement dealership when Travis is walking in. So, so you know, when you got a, a low budget and uh, and you're trying to make it all work, you got to pull in pull in as many local favors as you can. And um, I got to tell you, hats off to the locals who are not, you know, usually professionals. We bring the civilians in; it can go wrong. Like I brought in authentic people when we shot a film in the South. This guy was the walk and talk and real deal. Totally froze up on camera. Like, totally <laughs> yeah. froze up. It was almost I like was, an 18-hour day trying to get five, six lines out of this dude. Like, that's what we ended up with. He had, like, a whole thing, and then we had to just cut it down. I was writing, laying on the floor. Yeah. So it can always go – it can go the other way on you. So these yeah. guys were awesome. Yeah. That's great. Um, that was, that's not too big of a crew, but that's an important crew. Like you say, yeah. I, think, I think now I get even more so what you're saying. Directors will say this. You have to have the right tool for the right job. You, you can't have someone in there just mucking about. You, you needed guys to, to, who knew the farm equipment, who knew how to have it perform in this kind of weather. You don't want to hurt the actor. You don't want to actually crush Travis in the grain silo. Like I was like, was he supported? Because, you know, growing up around silos – people do crazy stuff in silos you know let's yeah. go up there and like have a good old time what was the safety <laughs> like i mean you guys were all kind of like to... doing this like how was that going you want to talk about that travis well <clears throat> yeah when we first uh when adam proposed this this silo uh uh scene i was like <laughs> i basically said you get in first <laughs> like <laughs> let me see you you get in or send your guys in and I'll watch them. And once I saw that it was extremely safe, like, you know, the, the bin was full. So it was really, really 
packed in there. Yeah. So you you weren't in nothing was running there was nothing hooked up to it there was nothing going on. so i knew it was extremely safe i mean it was dusty but it was uh really safe so once you know i kind of let those guinea pigs <laughs> get in there then i i didn't have a problem with smart guy with doing it and get in there plus it was so cold outside i was like outside or inside it's that's easy <laughs> i'd rather be in this 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 grain bin that's cozy you know since we're talking about that scene it's worth mentioning it was hard to it's hard to figure out how to have jesse do this um because there's so many ways that it could be done and one of the conversations that mark nevels my business partner and producer on the film had was you know oh actually and my partner sarah we talked about it as well it was that um you know how do we make make sure the audience isn't mad at jesse for abandoning his family at the end yeah and um that was a really tough part because originally i was going to have him die from asphyxiation he had this old chevelle that he that was his dad's and basically which is part of my i mean that is that component is from my life but gonna have that be a thing and then um have jesse go that way and it's the thing about that was then there was no doubt and this might've been overthinking it, but there was no doubt that it was suicide. And I wanted to figure out a way that Jesse could take his own life, but still leave family and friends and other individuals in the community questioning how it happened. Uh, And farmers die um, unfortunately in grain bins and silos quite often, not the way that we did it, but in a different way. So yeah. anyway, so we, we ended up choosing that. And I, and, you know, I think that, uh, it was definitely something that Travis and I had to talk to and I had to try to convince him that it was safe because the way it works is when, when you pull grain out, it can create a cavity when you're pull it, when you're emptying the bin, it can create a cavity. And then if you don't know that and you step on it, it collapses and then you, you basically suffocate. But when you're filling a bin, um, it's not possible for there to be a cavity. So I knew because I've been around this my whole life, I knew it was 100%, no questions asked, totally safe, but you have to, I mean, you got to make sure your lead actor feels that way. Otherwise there's no way in hell he's going to be able to deliver a performance, you know? So, um, so yeah, that was, that was, a something we talked about and it was an interesting challenge getting everybody up for, for sure. Part um, of me, I have to say though, what I loved about it too, and in love is a, is a strange word, but what what I appreciated about uh, the ending is that I still wanted to hang on to some hope for Jesse. That he hears Lucky barking, he snaps out of it, he crawls down from that silo. I mean, we ha- we get hit with the statistics, but I love that there is. I think that's the hope I was looking for in it. Maybe I'm looking for any kind of hope right now in 2020. Um, you know, I was looking for a hope that that maybe he would rally. Uh, maybe he'd sleep it off. <laughs> maybe the grain bin would shut off. You know, like I'm still looking for that because I I liked that it wasn't definitive. Uh, I like that you could leave that open to interpretation. I mean, you as the filmmaker are telling us that he committed suicide, but I think also you have to let your audience kind of. Uh, own it once we let these things out into the ether they don't really belong to us anymore fully they belong to our 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 audiences so i took that away from it that maybe jesse had a change of heart 
Uh, he slept it off. He heard uh, old Lucky barking. And Lucky's like, what, I'm going to live off this candy bar? Who's going to find me? This is, I'm <laughs> yeah. not that good of a duck hunter. I mean, you kind of hinted in the cornfield that he possibly could run off and fend for himself. But I don't know what kind of farm dog Lucky is. <laughs> right. Maybe he's right. been taken too well care of and right. he would be like right. laying around. But um, well, I'm being facetious. But I also, like I said, I found some hope in that, that it wasn't I as definitive. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that wasn't intentional, but once we started getting into the editing room, I realized that was a possibility and I'm totally okay with that, you know? Um, and I think that some, a couple other things that I like to touch on that you've mentioned, uh, is one is the ending, you know, I, I did want people to feel some sense of, I want the, you know, it's sad, but I also wanted them to feel some sense of relief. I think that for, I mean... Look, it's a dark subject matter. There's no way around it. But the way I think about it for Jesse is that he's at peace. Um, I think once he makes that final turn with on the ground with Lucky and starts going up the ladder, I think he's actually like his soul is finally like at peace. And I, I mean, there's a whole slew of topics you could go into depending on what your belief system is and whatnot. But I mean, that's how I feel about it. Right. And I think that, and, and I like to think of it that way, I guess that whatever happens, he's at peace. And I, and that's why we shot it the way we did. I mean, it feels a little angelic. I, I, you could say almost or something like that at the end. And I think that's a really nice way to leave the audience. Um, the other thing I was going to mention that you, you spoke about, which is just so interesting. I hadn't thought about it so much, but farming is so isolated. You talked about that overhead shot where he's just walking by himself. That's, I mean, that's a big component of this problem. I think is that these individuals, not only are they not likely to talk to someone if they had the opportunity, but a lot of times they just don't have the opportunity anyway. You're sitting in a tractor for 16 hours or something like that, maybe 20 hours. You know, you're kind of just by yourself with the radio maybe at best. And I think that it's interesting to me that I have a feeling a lot more people can relate to that right now because it's not a lot different than what most people are having to do with COVID. You know, most of us are stuck at home you know, and, and aren't able to get out and be as social as we would like to be. And that is exactly, I think, what it's like for a lot of these men and women in rural America. Well, I was listening, uh, I was reading uh, this morning about the Farm Aid hotline. There's a Farm Aid hotline set up. Uh, Willie Nelson and those guys set this up back in the 80s. We started doing Farm Aid. It's a real thing. Uh, they're doing as best they can, but they're overwhelmed. Uh, we're seeing the fragility of a lot of our institutions, a lot of our resources right now. And uh, the Farm Aid hotline is just blowing up right now because people are reaching out. This is the first time we've seen people go hungry like this. Uh, we've seen people, like, be homeless like this. And the farmer is in a double and triple spiral um, because of the tariffs uh, under the Trump administration, the doubling down over the years, no matter the administration. But where would they go, you know, and who can afford it? When you are literally choosing... How, you know, which days to eat of the week, where are you affording this mental, you know, health break that you need? Where would Jesse have gone? So before you start judging this character or, or farmers who are committing suicide, where the hell are you going? You know, there's not a whole lot of resources. So I think there's so many things without using a ton of words, without using Jesse's not doing a monologue in the field, drunk to lucky, you know, with rotting corn. This could have been mm -hmm. in the wrong hands. This could have been 
uh, a pretty horrible and lost opportunity. In the right hands, with the right director and the right actors, uh, like I said, this took me up off the couch. It, it, it knocked the wind out of me because it's, it's a real thing that we can all specifically relate to. Uh, but this crisis is ongoing. We'll get the vaccine. We'll get back to work 2021, deep into hopefully 2022. Maybe we'll have the wheels back on the thing. Um, but for farmers, this just, the screws tightens no matter what, it seems. And we can have a whole another two hours on uh, economics and where we are in the world and all that kind of stuff. But right now, this is a mayday call. I think Dying Breed is a mayday call. Uh, speaking of the film and where you can go see it, you can, see, you can find it right now on Amazon, on Amazon uh, Prime. Can they watch it for free? Can you go on Amazon Prime and watch anything for free anymore? Can you see this film anywhere? Like, so I, I don't know. So, so the film is also on Vimeo. Um, oh, on Vimeo. So, yes. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so you can definitely see it for free on Vimeo um, if you don't have Amazon. Uh, if you have Amazon, <clears throat> then you can also stream it on there. Yeah, we saw it last night. Uh, it was part of our package. Popped it on. Um, where can they reach out to you and talk to you about the film? Oh, well, let's back up real quick before we get to that part. Have you shown this to this film to anyone in the farming community? Um, yeah, actually, I've got a lot of overwhelming positive response. And I was Jerry actually came to uh, the first film festival in Sedona. He happened to be there with his wife and they came to the festival and saw the movie, uh, which was really cool. Um, but but since then, since we released, uh, a lot of people have seen it in the rural, you know, farm communities. Um, and it's such a touchy subject. You know, I didn't want to alienate anybody and I definitely didn't want to dive into politics there's a couple subtleties if you noticed but um i tried to like i just wanted to stay i wanted to touch but on them but i didn't want like again i didn't want to alienate anybody um you want to be dolly because, parton about it you want to be very dolly <laughs> i guess you know i wasn't trying to be politically correct i just feel like i just feel like uh, these a lot of these people are my family, you know, yeah. and and my friends, and I don't necessarily have the same views that a lot of them have, but I still care about them, you know, and I just I definitely didn't want to make something that was going to upset anyone in the community exactly. that made me who I am. So, um, so it's delicate, I guess, and I'm I'm I think you know so far anyway, uh, I'm I'm glad to report that I haven't got any negative feedback around the issue. Um, so. So that's really, like, really positive. And I think that beyond that, I think that um, it's impacting a lot of people. A lot of people are telling me, that, you know, man, it brought me to tears. I did not realize how serious this situation was or is. I mean, I should say so. I just want to help. You know, it's like this is yeah. the kind of stuff that we're all sucking air. I mean, we're creatives. We're freelancers. You know, we were already, you know, living. We live limb to limb. Uh, then the pandemic comes along and the government throws $1,200 at you and goes, Hey, good luck. Uh, and then, then you get the, you were getting the 600. Now you're getting the 300. It's like, Hey, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be great. You're going to live off of nothing and live off of air. I just want to know how we can help. Like, how can we every day walking around people? Is it talking to people? Like, 
what it I mean we can't I don't have money if I had all the money in the world I mean I would have been helping farmers all these years that's a place that's special in my heart my politics are not the same as my home uh, state of Alabama uh, I do not believe in uh, in the Meemaw who's running Alabama I mean I've been very forthcoming about my politics like fuck Trump at the same time I don't mean fuck the working people of this country we need these working people and I don't want to to ever cut those people off either uh but i feel like we are at a place where we need to open our hearts more than we ever have and reach out to people people are hurting and and this film just reminded me what an open wound we have in the in the farming community and the and the the families that are left behind um after they've lost you know someone to suicide in the farming community so i'm trying to answer i'm not asking you to answer that question i guess it just left me Going, what the hell can I do? You know. Well, I mean, I, I, I will answer to the for what I think the solution is right now. Anyway, is spread the word about the film. I think it's what we're doing. You know, because I think that um, first of all, even if we set up GoFundmes for every single farmer in the United States, most of them probably wouldn't take it. Right. Um, because they don't want handouts, which is admirable. Yeah. Uh, but. That's, you know, even if they need it, they probably wouldn't take it. So not the weather cut, right? Yeah. Right. So I guess, so that's not going to work. I don't think anyway. Um, I think, I think it's really getting as many eyeballs on this film as we can. Not just, yes, I think it's really important that, you know, folks in Los Angeles see it and in Chicago and New York and wherever else. I think it's important um, because maybe it'll start getting moved up the ladder, which then maybe uh, some money could get put behind this with initiatives like economic hardship or farm aid, for example, something like that, where they can actually have, you know, their people work on outreach programs and yeah, education and different things like that. Um, it, uh, my uh, stepmother actually had messaged me. She shared the film with she still lives in Minnesota. She shared the film with um, a friend who then shared it with, I think, a, I think, don't quote me, I think a Minnesota senator. The Minnesota senator, I think, was like, well, this should get, this should go to D.C. or something. This was something how the conversation when I just got received this message like a couple of days ago. And I think wow. that's that's what I'm talking about. You know yeah. what I mean? If we can. If we can get it in the... And you're not coming from a place of an inflated ego of watch my film. Like, you really deeply care about the subject. I think that's a storyteller's... That's why we do it. You know, I I don't have millions and millions of dollars, but who's telling his story controls the narrative and can shed a light. Like I said, I think it's... No one's talking about this. There's the odd article that comes out and people go, oh, well, farmers are killing themselves. No, this is the food you eat. This is the clothes you wear. This is how we live. This is how we yeah. survive. And yeah, there's there's the corporations that are taking over it, but we cannot forget these people. These people have been feeding us for generations. Uh, Jesse is a third generation farmer. He is not a mythological unicorn. You know, this happened probably yeah. while you were shooting this film. So this happened it while did. I was watching mm-hmm. this film. You know. it, there was it was actually on the news locally the night I think the night before we shot at the implement dealership, Travis. I don't know if you remember that, but like they had just said someone had died that way. And the thing is, a lot of farmers. Well, this is what the research says anyway. Is that a lot of farmers are most likely taking their lives through a farming accident, like a grain bin. So there's actually a lot of 
they believe that there might be a lot more deaths from suicide than they even know. Right. Because so many of them just look like, well... So someone can get the insurance, and so the family can survive afterwards. My death is a sacrifice for my family to survive this. Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Tim Redman as Marty. I thought he was amazing. I believed him. This is beautiful casting. If you're juxtaposing the guy who's in the office, who does get out on the field, and you're juxtaposing him with Travis's um, Jesse, I was like, wow, somebody knew what they were doing with the casting. So I was going to say shout out to Tim for playing uh, Marty. So Tim beautiful. was great. Yeah. 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 He, Tim's really great. And Tim's really great to, to act across from because he gives you so much. <clears throat> and um, I was uh, very thankful to have him there and, and work with him. He's a tremendous actor. And he wasn't like twirling his mustache and going, aha, like you, you can see the pain. He knew the family. He knows the family. And when we make these things black and white, we do damage to the people in the real communities, especially something like this. The bank is not gleefully taking farms from people. Um, right. You know, you're, you're in this situation doing what you got to do. So I don't know what, what could, what could Marty have done for Jesse, you know? Honestly, you know, it's like the thing is, is there's nothing, there really isn't anything um, we can do for anyone, right? I mean, ultimately, we each have to, we make our own choices. Uh, we have to decide whether or not we want to stop smoking or keep smoking. No, you know, everyone can tell you over and over and over, smoking causes cancer. Don't smoke. It's bad for you. But until you want to stop smoking, you're not going to stop smoking. And I think same thing, you know, Marty is not there to get jesse out of his predicament he can't he's tried to help financially when he could but there's nothing he can say that is going to make things better right for jesse he tries i think all he can do is be there for him you know and i think that's what he tries to do and i think he tries to you know bring up some of the good times not but not so much to um to reminisce i think it's like his way of avoiding the subject, you know? Um, so, so anyway, I don't know that he could have done anything for, for, for Jesse, but I, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'd like to think that like Jesse took something away from that, um, that conversation, at least it was a comfort, maybe fit. Yeah. yeah, Some sort of comfort. I don't know. You know, um, but how's lucky the dog is lucky. Good. uh, Who does lucky belong to? He's my, he's my brother's dog, man. I tell you what, like, uh, I don't, I know Phil for sure. Our cinematographer. I know he was definitely like, ah, oh, fuck, there's a dog in yeah. the script. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> I, I think Travis, I think Travis was too, because dog plays a pretty big part. Uh, and you know, it's, this he's is on probably the poster. where I'm, I'm naive probably. Right. Uh, maybe I'm naive or I just, just don't give a shit. But I, I was just like, oh, it'll be fine. And, uh, you know, everybody else I think was sweating. And then, but I mean, Travis, I, I maybe I'll let you talk to, uh, since Lucky's technically a rel or his name's Carver, but since Carver's technically a relative of mine, uh, you should probably yeah. talk about how amazing he was. What was your No, he was, he was, he, I've had people ask me if he was a, like a show dog or, you know, like a movie dog. And I said, no, he's a farm dog. And he was, he's, he's, just a smart dog and basically did what you told him to do and had fun too. It wasn't like he was ever felt like he didn't want to do it. He was more than happy to jump up on that thing. He was more than happy to chase corn. He was, 
he was loving it. I so. was believing it. Yeah. I was like, did they get a dog? I don't know. This this Labradors are also very, very smart. And farm dogs, yeah. I think, are very, very smart, yeah. too. Farms are working yeah. dogs. They have a job. Uh, but I was yep. like, I was really getting into this. And again, I'm not just like being the, the softy who loves the dog, but I was like, I've, I've seen it. People, somebody writes it into the script and you're like, do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're <laughs> asking for? Because I've been on those sets before. Dogs and children. That's that, that guy yeah. got it. They, he nailed it, right? It was at yeah, WC yeah. Fields. He said, don't never work with dogs and children. But uh, I was loving you with Lucky. And he's, <laughs> he's the heartbreak. He's, he's, uh, those are the last two images we see. We see this dog looking up and barking and this man's soul descending. And you're like, ah, fuck me. Or <laughs> well, sen- and ascending, it was important, ascending. It was important to me that, like I said before, it is very isolating. A lot of times it is a farmer and their dog. Um, and I think that um, it was important to me that Jesse did have some outlet throughout the film but i definitely did not want it to be a person you know i i'm a big fan of subtext and just like very little dialogue i mean you watch the movie there's not besides the marty and jesse scene there's not a lot um so i think that but i needed something yeah and so the dog wasn't like the original idea necessarily but i realized we needed something there and i thought it worked really well so wonderfully done dying breed you can see it on amazon you can see it on vimeo uh, we'll put those details in the description. You'll see that. You've got to watch it. It's 19 minutes. Um, you can do this. You can do it. It's, it's, it actually will make you feel all types of ways. And you're like, wow, things are really heavy right now. I don't think I can see it. Trust me. There's something uplifting. There's something about it. You've got to watch uh, Travis in this. Uh, even if you just want to feel, uh, if you're hot as hell somewhere and you want to feel cold. <laughs> There's so many reasons to watch it. So many important reasons to watch it. Uh, yeah, I'd say definitely take it on and watch it. I enjoyed, I'm going to go back and watch it probably again. It's one of those things that also stays with you. So please do check out this film by Adam Brumman and uh, starring the wonderful Travis Myers. He's wonderful in this. What are you guys doing next? What's coming up? You guys going to work together again? Is the, is the band getting back together? Or what's happening? Travis, can you see the shirt I'm wearing? <laughs> yeah, he's got the shirt on. <laughs> That's our next film. So... I had I had a, um, a, a script that I had written. Uh, it was a feature script, and I took a small part of it, and I said, "Hey, this is you know, let I've wanted to shoot this as kind of a concept piece, and let's just let's see. I think it's really fun and and good." And um, and when I finally got around, went through a lot of hoops, but then I finally got around, and I I reached out to Adam after we, we had such a good time shooting Dying Breed. And I said, here, take a look at this. I think. Um, just let me know if it's something you're interested in. And he goes, he read it, and he goes, you know, give me a day to kind of think about it. And then before the day ended, he was, like, texting me, like, well, if we did, then, you know. The, so he started, I, the wheel started turning. And so we went in, um, and, man, Adam got that going. He just jumped in both feet and worked out the script a bit and blah, blah, blah. And, man, we pulled a huge crew together, scraped up some cash um, that we did. um, We raised through friends and family um, and really peanuts. I mean, we did it for nothing. And then uh, a crew and got together. Melissa Production designed it. Um, She did awesome. The factory produced it. Uh, Adam directed it. 
And uh, I star in it with um, my friend uh, Alex Dizer and Christopher Amatrano. And What's it called? It's called Debt Men. For people who are not watching this on YouTube, they're just listening to it. Debt Men. And where can we yeah, see Debt Men? Where, where's uh, Debt Men going to land? Is it coming out in 2020, 2021? What's happening? I think we're going to do a 2021 yep. for that. Correct. 2020. Yeah, it'll probably be mid-January is what we're looking at. Oh, nice. So, so maybe we'll have yeah. you back for that. I don't know. We are talking about uh, – we were shelving uh, Ashland. It's coming to a close. Or actually, after we close out this podcast, we're going to sit and have a little family meeting about what we're going to do with uh, Ashland. But uh, regardless of what happens to Ashland, I'm excited to see the work you guys have done together. I think you work beautifully together. Um, you. you. find your people – you, as an audience, know if you're paying attention like a lot of us do. I know when people are, are collaborating well together, it comes out on the screen. You can feel it in your very, the, the DNA around the film. So uh, I will be definitely watching Dead Men. Whatever you guys make together, I'm definitely going to show up and, and watch because um, I think you've, right you've found your people. So that's always good. Cool. It's good for us. Thank it's a win you. for us. Thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, does anybody have any questions before we take on off? No? Nothing nope, else? No, I think so. Um, score is beautiful, but I wanted to say that production design was also right on the money. I believed it. I loved everything about it. It was very authentic. Watch Dying Breed. You got to go see it. Uh, you guys take care of yourself out there. Um, please make sure that you're reaching out to people. Even if it's digitally, it's very important to reach out to each other. Uh, we're hoping that we're helping you along by listening to the podcast in these times. We're not trying to be super important, but um, do know that we do care about you. And as we always say when we end the podcast, uh, we'll see you next time. And remember that we do love you. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Uh,